Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the movie reviewing podcast, Be Real Guys. I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, sir? I'm, um, you know, I'm not that great, but mm. we're going we're gonna to forge ahead, and I'm going to use the uh, ginger ale here to wash the taste of vomit out of my mouth. That is good. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, and hopefully people don't feel that way about this podcast, where we take uh, three movies on a bi-weekly basis based around a uh, tightly constructed genre or theme and uh, review and or reappraise them. That's yeah. what we do, that's what we In do here. In terms of their watchability. Yeah. Their yeah. quality and their watchability. We rate both. That's what we do here. But ultimately, we're rating you know, the viewing experience of these movies, not their artistic merit, not their box office success, oh, God, as, no. as Chance just aptly sang. Oh, yeah. Where are, you, where are you coming to the world from tonight? It's nice to remind people. Yeah, I'm coming from uh, Brooklyn, NY. Uh, deep, deep Brooklyn, NY. Um, my little studio apartment here. I took the day off from work today. That didn't feel great. Um, what did you do today, and where are you coming from, Chance? I am coming to you from my parents' house in desolate, desolate West Omaha. Would one and call that Millard? No, because that's not where I am. So one would never call it that. But Is I'm it more like, you- more like Elkhorn? No, stop. You're besmirching me, and I feel like you don't even realize it. Right. Um No, this part of town besmirches itself. I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom looking at the uh, American flag I stole from one of the principal's houses in high school. Was it like a Uh, prank? Yep. Nice. Well, you know, not a very uh, complex one. It was more like go to this person's house and steal shit from their yard. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't. I just wondered if it was like something you did with friends, or if it was like you just like drove by one. Was it premeditated? Is what I'm trying to establish. It was premeditated in the sense that we were going to take whatever was removable from the yard. So nice. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like you had the basic, uh, the same sort of same level of respect for the um, the bureaucrats in your high school as <laughs> I did at mine. Uh, tonight. We are gathered here, with here being unspecific, um, to talk about three movies. This might be one of our most specific themes yet, I would say. I mean, people losing their shit on TV? Yeah, disturbed people on sort of surrealist TV shows. Movies about that. Right. And I also think it's interesting to... It's just like the level of psychological damage on trial in these three movies. Very much. That's so, a good point. What did we pick for this week, Chance? As our contemporary option, we picked the just recently put on Netflix, Kristen Wiig starring Welcome to Me, which was a small indie film that I think came let out. Me, in- let me pause you right there. Did it only come out on Netflix? 
No. I was I was on IMDb and it looked like it did some film festivals, but ultimately I think its only distribution was Netflix. I remember people, I remember critics talking about it when it was in a few indie theaters across the country, but it certainly did not get a wide release. Interesting, because I'd never even heard of this movie before you brought it up. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, it'll certainly reach a wider audience now that it's on Netflix. And then we did 1998's The Truman Show, starring mm-hmm. Jim Carrey. And then we did the variable cinema classic, 1976's Network. The oh, yeah, which I had never seen before. So, Which, where are we starting? Well, I think we should start with a word from our sponsor, Chance. Because I think we're going to start with the Truman Show, right? Yeah, let's start there. Okay. Um, let's hear that word. Today's episode of Be Real Guys is brought to you by Ed Harris. And how I just don't trust you, Ed Harris... Are you looking for the kind of B-list movie personality who can bring complex but latent emotions and a chiseled bone structure to the fore of any movie, action, or plight melodrama? Born in Inglewood, New Jersey in a time when men were men, we at Be Real Guys would like to submit to you, Mr. Ed Harris. But goddammit if I just don't trust you, Ed Harris. You say that you love Truman in The Truman Show, and that makes me think you could like me too. We could get along great. You're the intimidating but veritable bulwark of a father I think we Americans have always hoped for. We can see you now, in your slender Kristoff spectacles, beret, and black... Let's call it a winter smock? (laughs) And yet... I have seen your other movies, Ed, and they unsettle me in a way that undoes my paternal attachment to you, as it must have Truman's. History of violence? What's wrong with your eye? The Rock? You're yelling a lot. Gone Baby Gone? Scary hairpiece, scary shotgun. And now, for a limited time, I'll try to remember the lovable characters Harris has played through the years. The football coach from radio. That was memorable in a hey, I saw Will Patton and remember the Titans, but added a fedora kind of way. (laughs) At 64 years old, Mr. Harris's talents are notably available. So attempt to reach him now via IMDb Pro. He's the ready and waiting icing on the cake of any film lacking a certain 20th century sturdiness. But he will not fill the hole in your life. Maybe once you had the right stuff, Ed, but that was long ago. That was great. Yeah, Ed Harris is as Kristoff in this movie. He's amazing. Yeah, but I really liked his his winter smock. Yeah. His schmata, his double-breasted schmata, if you will. That's perfect. That's a much more terminologically correct way and to describe it. I love the scenes where like he's wandering around in the studio with a towel. Like, what was he doing that needed a towel? Yeah, he just got out of the shower and put on his slippers and wondered why Truman wasn't in the basement anymore. And right. Screamed at Paul Giamatti. Like, is, is the assumption that these people... Well, let's get into the plot in a second. But is the assumption that these people live in this like weird little zit coming off the world? Kristoff, at least, I think. Yeah. At the very least. So anyway, this movie is... Um, Chance, you want to do the synopsis? Sure. Talking about 1998's The Truman Show, directed by Peter Weir, and I think the simple way to describe it is that unbeknownst to him, Truman, played by Jim Carrey, has lived now 30 years from birth to the present on 24-7 
live television. Every one and thing in his life is pre-planned as part of the TV show from parents to wife to best friend. And Truman Show is essentially the story of him figuring this out. And the show is watched, um, according to this movie, by, it seems like, almost universally by audiences around the world. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) Well, the weird thing about this movie is, like, it, like, starts kind of, uh, obscurely and you kind of yes. have to figure out like what's going on. But then like, as the movie goes, like it'll occasionally pull back and like show you somebody like weirdly commenting on true, like w- the narrative you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So, but for, from like the first 45 minutes or so, maybe to an hour, you're really not super, sh- you know, there's some like thing going on, but you're really not sure up until, which I didn't realize because I've seen this movie so many times, but right. watching it now with fresh eyes, like you don't know like what the, the, the setup is until pretty far into the movie. It's true. And I would say that especially visually that produces something cool because what you realize slowly as Truman realizes it are the sort of like invasive angles of hidden cameras on his right. dashboard and in shit around his room and things like that. You spend the first 45 minutes just sort of, I don't know if it's hard to say what you know, but you feel like the movie is just being shot this way. And so it's a very kind of gradual right. reveal that hits you in a cool way visually, I think. It has kind of like a Danny Boyle type feel just like how close everything is and like the weird, like self-aware camera moves. Mm -hmm. Like if you notice like the camera, like often wants him to go some way and then it'll have to like come back. Like in the scene where he's uh, flirting with Natasha McElhone and they like go the other door out of the library and like the camera, like isn't sure where they are. Right. Which I think is such an interesting visual style. Yeah. Because, yeah, because it's interesting. Yes, it's really interesting to think that they are shooting a movie, but they're also trying to portray a TV show that is at times not going well because the subject is like running away from the camera. That's a really interesting couple things to juggle. Right. Well, the whole, I, I mean, that's what I think is funny about this movie and sort of like the weird question about it. And I think it comments a lot on like reality TV and also like the state of like 24 hour news stuff. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, I mean, they've sold this morally to the world by saying, oh, this is like, we're just giving this guy who is an orphan, like a shot at a normal life. And we're like keeping him from all like the horrible things that'll happen. Right. But what really they're doing is they're performing an experiment of how long can we trick this human being into thinking this is real life? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. He has no basis to think otherwise because he was born like on camera. So it, it poses some pretty like troubling questions about like what we want our entertainment to be and what it does to the people who are doing it. And I think the, I think that's a good point, and I think the movie does a quite good job of balancing. So one of the things that I noticed throughout is Truman's relationship with his wife, who's played by Laura Linney, um, mm-hmm. is really interesting. And he's very, very boyish, like, 
just extremely like not an adult and you if you Mm -hmm. think if you think about it in the extent in the sense of the experiment that this movie is putting out of course he remains childlike because he's never been like challenged by the outside world in any way which i think we would agree is a huge part of what creates like you giving off a sense of adulthood right Um, but he's also been emotionally stunted because he has seen some pretty horrible things that they've like elaborately staged yes like the whole thing is well he can't ever have the desire to leave he lives on this island and the island is surrounded by a studio right and so he but he can't leave the island so they to make him fearful of like leaving and water they like pretty brutally like have like have him witness his father drowning. Right. And so like, that's the reason he's like, he'll never leave the Island. So that's a pretty terrible thing to have done to like a human. Oh, Truman, you knew this would happen. You know, you can't drive over water. Just go home where you feel safe. I think they do a great job of balancing the feeling that this is like a, in some ways, like a true experiment in human behavior with what I remember about it. You know, when you, when you think about it um, just in passing, I always sort of remember like the leave it to beaver sort of overtones that it's going for and how, and that really plays into like the bits that Jim Carrey has liked to do forever. Um, It was sort of like picket fence America, like, things that he does in this movie a whole bunch and but the marriage of the of those two things if you're like watching it critically it's interesting how it treats both pretty equally right well that was like the interesting thing about the movie when i was watching it um with my girlfriend she commented wait isn't it the 60s but why are they driving around in ford tauruses (laughs) and so like there's these weird it's like it's such an interesting movie visually because you're not sure if it's period for like a good chunk of it yeah and then you know you always know something's off but it's not in a way that's so like bleak yeah and that with i mean i think that's what makes the film so watchable is the fact that the way they're playing like how serious everything is and it's still the world of television so it's not terribly like I think this movie could have easily been like a dystopian like children of men like bleak like look <laughs> sure. at this guy who's like losing his mind and it turns out he's on a TV show like it's something like you and McGregor would be in yeah I was reading something uh, that early scripts of it like were way darker and way more sci-fi um, okay well it's Andrew Nicole did the uh, the script and he did like Gattaca and um, oh, God, Gattaca. Lord of War. <laughs> And, uh, oh like, gosh. all these, like, very, like, sort of yeah. preachy. So I can see him, like, going a little over the top. Um, yeah. But Peter Weir is such a great, I, I just think, choice for this one. Because he did, Absolutely. like, the Master and Commander. I mean, so he was ready for the boating storm scene. He was scenes. ready for the boating <laughs> scene at the beginning, yeah, or at the end. Um, um, yeah. But I, I think that's, Peter Weir is a great choice. Because in a lot of ways, I think that... This is a funny movie because Jim Carrey is funny and the the clashing of the like I'm doing product placement with like this guy's mental crisis is is funny in a dark way. But I think Peter Weir is so interesting because if you look at his other filmography like dude did like Witness and Mosquito Coast and uh Master and Commander like you said. 
Um, this is sort of an odd choice, like something that's very sort of meta and like interested in technology. Like otherwise, he's been pretty interested in like hard bitten, but like kind of overwrought realism. I would yeah. say. I mean, he's a very like old school filmmaker. Like he yes. makes very like you know standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that they're not great. Uh, but yeah. they're usually linear. They're usually like shot, you know, in normal ways. Yeah. So they're yeah, usually about a man's man suffering, typically. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really interesting because there are moments in this where I feel like a lot of other directors would kind of let Jim Carrey run wild in mm-hmm. like the jokes as digressions, and I think Peter Weir is taking it very seriously i'm thinking of the i'm thinking of another the other high school flashback where uh noah emmerich is like playing the trumpet in his face but like truman's trying to look at the girl that he likes right and it's kind of the fisheye camera that's like barely capturing them and jim Mm -hmm. carrey's really funny and he's like putting the plume of his band hat in the trumpet but the camera like refuses to acknowledge that he's being funny and i think that's peter weir scene where he pretends that the feather is like an animal <laughs> when he was trying it's to make right eye contact, that, yeah. yeah, but like you don't even see that bit unless you look very closely for it. Yeah, it's so it, funny. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like Peter Weir doesn't have much of a sense of humor, and for some reason right. that like really works in terms of bottling mm-hmm. up Jim Carrey, and because of the themes of this movie, caging <laughs> all this energy works really well. But if it went like the other way too far, I mean, you'd end up with something like Ed TV or something. <laughs> yes. Oh, you, you didn't want to save that one for the megapod <laughs> about uh oh yeah we'll do the two similarly yeah <laughs> i don't uh, want to watch ed tv please <laughs> please don't make me do that please don't make me watch ed tv uh, um yeah throw that idea away but yeah i think and like the performances in this movie are like really good because they're like yeah, well, I mean, like, the, just the conceit of the movie allows the actors to sort of, like, play hammy. Mm-hmm. So then when they pull back, it, it like, feels very good because, yes. it, I don't know, it shows, like, that they have range. You're seeing someone act, and you know that they're acting, which yeah. is sort of a funny thing. And I think Laura Linney is particularly brilliant at being literally someone who, like, can't despise her co-star, and she has to pretend to be married to him 24 hours a day. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new mo cocoa drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua. No artificial sweeteners. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? I've tasted other cocos. This is the best. What the hell does this have to do with anything? Tell me what's happening! Well, you're having a nervous breakdown. That's what's happening. And I think what you were talking about with the pulling back is interesting, too, because you also get the feeling like, granted, this show's been going on for 30 years. So it's like the equivalent of an of an actress in like her 15th season of like a of a sitcom Mm -hmm. or something. And you also get the feeling that they're kind of coasting. Right. Because like who gives a shit on like on some level, like when you're just talking to this guy every day because banality is the point. So when when the crisis is setting in for Truman, these side characters have to be like, oh my gosh, like, I'm the bonding glue that's going to hold this together. Right. Well, they're also dealing with the fact that, like, yes, they don't have home lives, but they're already, they're probably never going to work again. (laughs) Because they, I mean, they they have been typecast because they've literally spent their whole lives on this show. Yeah. 
Like the guy who was his best friend. It like been his best friend since they were like seven. Yeah. Like, well, that's like the question that I have about. I, I, the only thing, the thing I, I think that are flaws with this movie is if mm-hmm. like you kind of poke at it a little bit, like the logic of it. Sure. Um, like what? Like, I mean, yes, you have that one scene where that girl goes, oh, my God, mom, is that him? Yeah. But otherwise, like, how do you get kids to, like, act that way? Yeah. Like, That's how true. did he how did he have any, like, sort of friend socialization between the ages of, like, two and, like, maybe you could get a teenager to, like, do it? That's true. Um, I mean, as long as we're pointing those out, I, I also do think that, like, um, you know, at a certain point, like, the story really, like, comes to him. I think they could have done, like... I sort of wonder what a more complex relationship with like maybe what one more Laura Linney scene would have been like. I think the mm-hmm. movie's like a little bit scared to go there. Also yeah. like his mom is like such a throwaway character. And like, if, right. like you said, if you care about his childhood or like what made this person, like it would have been nice for her to be like yeah. a person. And I was all. a little thrown too that like having the dad come back, like wasn't a bigger thing. Tell me if this is, this might be a bridge too far, but I was interested thinking about like, you know, this was from the nineties. Mm-hmm. It's very like power of TV based um, right. on their sleeve. All of these movies are very power of TV based, um, but probably less so as you go chronologically. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like, how does this hold up? Because we don't, we no longer live in a world where TV is the media king. Um, but I think this movie's interesting because in some ways, the way that I read it, I think it actually works a little bit better to describe or be an analog for our current state of affairs than it does reality TV because I think it's smart, of course, but it doesn't seem that prescient about like what reality TV came to be because, of mm-hmm. course, reality TV turned out to be tawdry and scripted, which is the, right. op- the opposite of what this is. Mm-hmm. I think it's really smart in the way that like when you think about how you know smartphones are marketed to us it's all like have the most streamed line individual like utter everything utterly served to you to noah to chance to truman experience you can have and i think that's sort of more what this movie does a better job of kind of like predicting those corporate concerns i think than like then well, i think uh, it's interesting because instead of predicting what television would be like, it's sort of like weirdly like predicted, like how we would want to be treated. Yes. And so we are Truman. We are not the people on the outside. Right. And what I thought was such a funny dated moment was, so he's in his car and he's playing with the radio and he starts hearing what is, I guess like the, the channel that they use to communicate with all the actors. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, he's turning onto whatever street. And it's like in this day and age, that wouldn't like be a weird thing because he would just assume it was his, like his GPS or something. Right. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Like it wouldn't have been such a jarring moment. Like wait, who are these people talking? You know, like you'd have to explain it more. Yeah. In today's, but we just like having people tell us where to go and stuff like that. Yeah. Where we are. Yep. So we are Truman. We're not the the voyeurs on the outside. Yeah, it's it's more about what we would like in terms of what we perceive to be 
utterly individualized treatment as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, some broader commentary on like what it means to mass produce the, a TV show. Right. And like, there's the implication too, that we're constantly like on social media and contactable, like you said, with our smartphones through email and text and phone calls 24 hours a day. It's almost like you are acting chance <laughs> 24 hours a day, except when you're asleep, then you let the commercials run. And in case I don't see you, um, <laughs> well, shall we rate this bad boy? Do it. Do it. What do you think? Um, I think good, good. Me too. I think it's a good, good. I think sometimes it has sort of like good, bad moments, but I think for the most part, good, good. I would agree. Yeah. This is, I mean, this, I sort of, I've liked this movie for a long time. And oh, yeah, I, and I would I, watch it again. I feel like I catch more every time I see it. Yeah. I am, and you know, I'm conscious of like, what will be the time I put this on and it will some way like ring the wrong way with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't right now because it kind of like was a wake up call to me for the aforementioned reasons. <laughs> oh, I guess I meant critically. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, I still found it to be smart and well laid out and. And 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 I I just think one of the best Jim Carrey performances because it like it just like squashes itself in on this guy who's always like look at me but then the text of the film is like pretend that he doesn't want to be looked at but mm-hmm. you have to look at him right um, and that sort of like those interesting like meta motions kind of lead to a really yeah. good Jim Carrey experience maybe the best one in my opinion. I think what added to the Jim Carrey experience for me was the fact that this uh, soundtrack also has like the same, like similar two chords as eternal sunshine. Yeah. So I occasionally thought it was eternal sunshine. And And you like that. And I liked that. Network? Let's go to Network. Alright. So our second film tonight is Network. What year, Chance? 1976. 76. Sid- Good vintage Sydney for, for American film. Um, yeah, and then just about every other famous actor from that era you can think of. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the setup to this movie is they lay off a long-time TV personality who anchors the nightly news and they give him like two weeks to sort of finish out. And on the episode after uh, he gets this news, he threatens to kill himself on the on national television. And he like says this like a string of curse words. Um, so the studio, the network, has this crisis on their hands. But they're also dealing with the fact that because there was this scandal on the news, people are now watching their program more. Mm -hmm. And they basically, it follows the people who work at this network, basically riding that roller coaster out where this guy slowly loses his mind, hint the genre uh, on uh, television. Yeah. Uh, And Howard Beale, the, the newscaster turned mad preacher is played by, Peter Finch, uh, William Holden plays the... Uh, Love William Holden. Yeah, he's the kind of old-time broadcast journalist who's in charge of the 
news division at this network, which is called UBS. Uh, Faye Dunaway is the upstart program director who whose idea it is to like you know let's get this entertaining man on there and then robert duvall is sort of the uh corporate hatchet man who right only cares about the dollars and cents bottom line oh and then uh who's ever uh he's one of the brothers of famous acting people uh ned Beatty. ned Beatty as the ceo of like the conglomerate that owns the network yeah that scene that's is such a, an amazing it, scene well, that, that scene really like takes the movie from like I would say pretty realistic to sort of like Coen Brothers level weird. Meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. Yeah, it does quite something to kind of like, because you don't, you are not expecting this movie to all of a sudden, it's been an interesting like industry examination up to this point. And all of a sudden, like, it's like, what if we took 15 minutes to see how like Howard Beale, the guy losing his mind, sees the world and uh, Ned Beatty delivers a pretty dynamic, like, two minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's on, like, the level of Alec Baldwin giving that speech in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross or something. Like, exactly. I'm surprised Good that's call. not a more famous speech. Um, but it's great. This and, is, but, but that's the weird... Well, I think that's what I found sort of divisive about the movie, is that, you know, in the last, like, 20 minutes or so... It's sort of like because the past 10 minutes has kind of gotten boring, then it like decides to get weird for a little while. And I like, I don't know. I have yeah. feelings, Chance. You, you want to go ahead? You can go ahead. What are the feelings? I know this is a classic movie and it's really revered, but I feel like it's pretty uneven. Yeah. I think Faye Dunaway in this movie is great. I think William Holden in this movie is great, but I don't think the two of them have a lot of chemistry. And so oh, when okay. the movie's narrative relies solely on like watching them like be in love, mm-hmm. quote unquote, it's not super interesting. And the scenes, you know, really any other scene other than like them in her house just like doing like word battle with each other was not as interesting as the word battle that goes on with all the other characters. That's true. I think I bought it though, because of what it puts forward as far as she is essentially, according to him, he, she's an animal of the TV generation to whom he can never actually relate that the idea is that right. she'll never be in touch with the real world. And so I guess I was okay. But the point with... of that, like that device to me is so antiquated yeah, that like, it's hard to buy into <sighs> in I this bought, day and I age. Bought. Well, you're an old soul <laughs> chance and like everyone oh, loves for you God's for sake. that. But like telling someone they're a product of the TV <laughs> generation, like just doesn't hit me on any level. Well, this movie's, uh, like, you know, it's golden age. Years old. It's golden age, man. But I'm saying I think like I mean there are definitely a lot of classic movies that 
transcend their time period. I just think some of the politics of this movie, like, are so, like, we're so past that. Like, it doesn't really, like, probably have the kind of teeth it did when it was first I think in a lot of ways it works because I was talking to someone, I was talking to my buddy Dan about this today with uh, flip phones in the wire. And I was like, I don't notice because it does such an effective job of luring you into the universe that you just take the things that they have in their hands as rules of the universe. And I think this oh, movie yeah. does that. Well, this movie does that in a big way, but I, I mean, I know what you mean. I mean, it's an interesting period piece in the fact that it also shows you like what people cared about yes. at this time. And, like, what was being discussed as far as, like, this is how you should behave as shown by movies. So I think that's interesting. But ultimately, like I said, I don't think it has the teeth that maybe for a viewer like our parents would have. Because it it basically shows or it depicts an idea of the birth of red-in-the-face television punditry um, that actually so what kind of it came to bear in terms of tone but it never came to bear in terms of who Howard Beale is which is sort of this like yeah sort of like apolitical but like still very fire and brimstone mm-hmm. sort of uh sort of television voice and so yeah, yeah it was it was sort of odd to be like i i definitely see what you're saying network in terms of journalistic cred selling out for corporate entertainment but like what howard beale is never really came to bear well that's well that's the thing about the movie that i found so strange is that i feel like you know like we said about two-thirds of the way in they're like well nobody really knows like what howard's doing here so let's like drastically change the tone of the film (laughs) in order for you to understand like how he thinks yeah and then it does that but i feel like we've been living in such a like a weird chapter of this movie tonally that when you get to the ending too that like was like what the fuck was that yeah i think what i have written down in my notes is that and i think this probably contributes to what you're talking about this is a very there are not very many movies like this in terms of the star power but also in the way that it sort of configures it stars like mm-hmm. I, I sort of thought of like American Hustle in terms of a movie that kind of like endeavors to bounce around and change perspective between like four huge movie stars, but like never really commit to one of them and like try to let them all have their moment. And I think that that is a really challenging, but sort of like inherently messy way to try to right. make a movie. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like a dirty 70s way to make a movie. Um, But yeah, well, I think ultimately the protagonist is William Holden and the antagonist is uh, Robert Duvall. Yes. But yeah, but it also makes for, I mean, Faye Dunaway just does beautifully with what she's given. Yeah, she really does. Peter Finch is great in that he's like playing like the funny guy. Uh, Not to say that he's like, well, he is pretty hysterical in it. Um, Yeah. But he also doesn't have very much depth. We got an editorial in the holy goddamn New York Times. A call to morality. I don't know where he is. That crazy son of a bitch Beal has caught on. So don't tell me you don't know where he is. He should be jumping off a roof for all I know. The man is insane. He's not responsible for himself. He needs care and treatment. And all you grave robbers think about is that he's... I hit. To, to your point of 
I have written down a moment that I found completely hysterical is when Howard Beale's been walking in the rain all night and he's coming in to make his I'm as mad as hell speech. And uh, the security guard's like, hey, Mr. Beale. And he goes, I must make my witness. And he goes, sure thing, Mr. Beale. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) That was a great moment. See, I like that sort of like Hollywood comedy, like self-aware. Yeah. Like, oh, he's a star. Like, you just say yes and let him and open the door for me. Mm-hmm. Him. Like, that's your role. Um, but then when it got to, like, to my point, which is going to be the basis upon which I make my rating, okay. is I think that the ending of this movie sucks. Okay. okay. You can spoil it. It's, uh... We don't, I mean, I don't have to spoil it. I'm just saying, like, the way they wrap it up is so... Well, it's a like quick, like it just, yeah. it just happens. And then the movie's over. Yep. And I feel like it's so like not within like the realism rules that the rest of the movie set up. I think it, I'll agree with you in the sense that the rest of the movie is so beautifully intricate with language. And for, yeah. so for the voiceover to come back and be like, you know, this happened because this happened. And that's how the movie ends. Like, mm-hmm. wow, you couldn't save a little bit of that for your conclusion? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the voiceover is sort of, and the narrator is sort of interesting. I wonder if that was like a later, like, studio decision to do that. You got to wonder. I think that's a good call. Because I think that, I mean, he's narrating scenes that they've shot and put there. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think... The parallel that comes to mind is like, you've seen Mean Girls, right? Sure. So at the end of Mean Girls, uh, <laughs> Regina George gets hit by that bus mm-hmm. and she lives. But this is the movie where Regina George gets hit by the bus and dies. <laughs> like a plot device comes out of nowhere yeah. to kill a character. And that's the movie. I think like... David, you brought up the Coen brothers. I brought up David O. Russell. Right. Like, it's interesting. It It is doing a lot of the things that inspired them. Mm-hmm. But, like, it... Lumet and... Uh, who is it? Patty Shayovsky? Who yeah. wrote this? Yeah. Who's won um, two Oscars, one of them for this screenplay. But, like, they don't really believe in the sort of... I guess... I don't know. Maybe this isn't an objective is not an objective criticism. They don't believe in the sort of like obligatory quirkiness that sometimes makes those Cohen and Russell movies work and mm-hmm. sometimes doesn't. Well, you're also talking about writer directors. That's true. Who write their own movies and then shoot them the way they see them. Mm-hmm. I feel like the main issue with this movie is that the writer came at it like a Cohen Brothers movie and Sidney Lumet came at it as like a pretty realistic like you know, Martin Scorsese in the seventies kind of movie. That's interesting. And then he only has to get absurd when the script like explicitly calls for it. Yeah. When it really twists his arm. I mean, it's kind of like the interesting pairing of Andrew Nicole and Peter Weir, you know, again, you get like, you have two people with very different ideas about what this story is. Like clearly Andrew Nicole thought it was something like more bleak and Peter Weir thought it was like an old school Hollywood movie and the same thing happens here, um, I think. But I don't think the results are as seamless, at least under the microscope of 40 years. Yes. So what is this movie for you? Because of the ending, I'm going to have to give it uh, good-bad. Good-bad. 
Okay. Like, I think it's a great movie in, like, the canon and is, should stay there, and I don't think we should dethrone it. But I think, like, as a layperson just wanting to watch a movie on a Saturday afternoon, which is how I rate in my mind what I find entertaining. Sure. I think this one... What a one, populist it, you are. I know. What I think is that it, the movie is not super watchable. Okay. And what, is you, what do you think it is? It's good, good for me. I'm going to go ahead and agree with everyone and the American Film Institute. <laughs> Listen, we, we dethroned uh, The Hours. hours. Oh, that Why movie deserved it, though. You can go right. ahead and depict the popular rage as a Latter-day Prophet if you want, but I am going to... <laughs> I'm just going to... like. Well, what I do after the podcast is I literally just pass out, so... <laughs> there you go. And that chance usually edits out, edit, edit, usually edits out that part. The thud. Yeah, I take that yeah, out. Yeah, the thud. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! So normally, listeners, we get into our contemporary movie first, but Welcome to Me is on Netflix. It's got It got its very tiny theatrical release a while ago, so there was no... Yeah, it made $36,000 <laughs> in its opening weekend. <laughs> According to IMDb Business and other info. <laughs> so there was no urgency to put it first. So we are talking about it last. I think this is technically a 2014 movie, but it was one of those indie movies that everyone saw. Anyone who saw it saw it this year. And the most people who will ever see it will see it now because it arrived on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. So And whoever does see it will be deeply troubled by it. <laughs> that is uh, for certain. Yeah. So the plot of this movie is fairly simple. Um, because it's not, you know, doesn't have the, the heft to carry an entire film. Um, but it's basically (laughs) an insane person wins the lottery and then decides she wants her own TV show. And because she has the money, she can do it. Right. So she finds this like hapless, you know, infomercial studio gives them what, like $30 million. Yeah. And they make a hundred episodes of her just like having borderline personality disorder on live television. Yeah. It's kind of like a QVC type channel. That's completely out of money. And Alice played by Kristen Wiig says like, I'll give you $15 million if I can act out my, uh, psychological narcissism on, Mm -hmm. on the air. And they say, yes, James Mardson, who's like the, uh, the network head says, yes. Oh, stop. I'm a winner at any time. I was born in the year 1971 in Simi Valley, California, and I've been using masturbation as a sedative since 1991. Now, I'd like to get a volunteer from the audience. What's your name? My name is Alice Klieg. I won $86 million. Don't you really won the lottery? Seriously. Can someone Google that? This movie is also set... It's interesting. In what I can only refer to as sad California, it's like... <laughs> a suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's like, this is where True Detective Season 2 is set, if the whole right. movie was in car dealerships and failing TV studios. Right. I feel like I've spent a lot of time in sad California recently. This movie only has, like, you know, a, like a, a finger on 
how you make a movie, not that, like a full hand. <laughs> that's true. I think... Like, you have... It's directed by, what is it, Jeremy Piven's sister, who's famous for being Jeremy Piven's sister? Shira Piven, the uh, sister of the uh, director of... What was that movie, like, Mr. Goods or something? Oh, were you talking about Mr. Woodcock? Ah, no, I was not talking about Mr. Woodcock. (laughs) Edit me out, please. Please leave that in. Every reference to Mr. Woodcock is worth the air. Fine. Um... Yeah. So, okay, what I... Unhinged, I think, is one way to describe it. I really think this was a movie with a premise. Very clearly, it had a premise, yes. Well, that's what I said in my synopsis. Yes, exactly. And they were like, can we get Kristen Wiig, who is done with Bridesmaids and is now out here being, like, very selective about these, like, roles in indie films that no one is watching. Right. And... Playing sad people. She's going to give it her all in what I find to be kind of an impressive way. But like, whoops, we don't really have much more movie. Right. Like this is, you know, we talk a lot about film length because in the in the second half of our gradient, like in terms of watchability, like film length matters a lot when you are watching a movie. This movie is, I think, 87 minutes. But for what it sets up, to deal with, like, sort of, like, media criticism and also, like, a delicate balance about a protagonist with a serious mental illness, like, it could have been 220 if the script could have supported it. Like, I think I think it, it kind of bailed at 87 minutes. Well, that's the thing that I find so weird about this movie is that, like, other than, like, the threats of something happening, nothing really happens. It's true. So, like, basically, not to give it too much away, and my review is going to probably not want you to watch this movie anyway. So, but the the whole idea, she has her TV show, Mm -hmm. and then the movie's about her TV show, and then, like, oh, Linda Cardellini's here, and, oh, and then she's going to, it's her only friend, but she's, like, horrible to her. And then you have, like, Tim Robbins in his nice little house. Yeah. And, like... Then there's some, like, brother drama between Bentley and uh, Marsden, and then, like, the movie's over. Yeah. If it's, I, I hope it's not too early to get to this, but I think that this movie actually suffers the same fate as a lot of, like, hey, we have an impressive comedian and performer who wants to try something darker. Can we give him 90 minutes of screen time? There are a lot of movies that are like this, um, one that I watched fairly recently, actually, was uh, Giant Mechanical Man. Have you seen that movie? Oh, the one where uh, Chris Messina like, spray-paints himself? And, yeah, uh, and Jenna Fisher is sort of the lost 30-something That's woman. also a not very good movie. But I f- it's like these movies where I think these people are performing kind of admirably, but it's 90 minutes, and when you're like, okay, script, like, show me your haymaker, it has, n- it doesn't have a haymaker. It has nothing to, like, really right. impress you in terms of a narrative. And I feel like this movie was the same way, except instead of just being cute, it, like, really bit off a lot, but still It kinda. bit off a lot, but then didn't chew any of it. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, what you what you have is, I think... Kristen Wiig, who I've found since she was an SNL to be, like, a really amazing, like, fascinating performer, and here portraying some, 
one with mental illness, she sort of like gets into what you from the outside might assume to be like the mind of a narcissistic person who's all over and just wants to perform. And that's interesting. And I think she's working really hard, but mm-hmm. it kind of just doesn't have that much more to give her. Right. It's like her, it's like her nightcrawler, honestly. And I find that really interesting. It's oh, you like, didn't like nightcrawler. Oh, I did. Li- I did like night. I did. I did like nightcrawler, but it's like this person who kind of came from nowhere, came from like utter bleak silence and like showed up and they were like, Hey, I've studied everything about saying words in order, but I have no emotional attachment to them. And I think that, I think they're both interesting. I think Nightcrawler is a better movie, but I think what I like about them is the same. Right. Did you ever see that movie? Um, uh, what's it called with uh, Scarlett Johansson under the skin? Yes. Again, like, I feel like it's a very, I mean, that one goes to the extreme degree, but sort of taking someone out of their element to basically have the same structure as one of these movies, too, where she literally, like, comes out of ooze just to, like, destroy people and then returns to it. But, okay, I'll say that under, it's interesting, Under the Skin, I think, is a very good bad movie for me oh yeah and definitely good bad glad that i saw it but i will never watch that again right but i think it's interesting you bring these up because all right i won't spoil this one but like nightcrawler i think is a very bad good movie i think like uh, i don't think this was very constructed that well but i want to watch this person do this thing i don't know i felt like well, what did we decide Drive was? We're just going in all kinds of directions because I don't have like that much positive to say about these movie. Or this movie, Drive. Um, I think we, I think good, good, bad, bad, good. No, for we both said it was good, bad. We both said high quality, low watchability. I went back. Yeah, and listened I'm gonna to have that to recently. say that good, bad is uh, is this is uh, for Nightcrawler, for me. Oh, okay. I said the opposite, but that's fine. But that's why I'm trying to explain why I made the point about Under the Skin. Right. Okay. Because, again, like, I don't think I'll ever watch that movie again. But, I, you know, it was good to see. Sure. It's a good movie. Big winner. Hi, I'm Rich. Me too. I want a talk show with me as the host. You want to talk about current events? No. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff do you want to talk about? Me. The supporting cast, I mean, they got some pretty big names in there, too. Yeah. They didn't really let them do anything other than one emotion and then Jennifer Jason Lee like just bails halfway through the movie like I think because she's like tired of the premise that's what it seems like yeah she's got to go shoot like Greenberg 2 or something <laughs> um, but yeah I, Joan Cusack is in this and she's pretty funny I like all the people like in the control room yeah um, Marsden's still a little too pretty for me to buy him in that role. You didn't think his lack of like a trimmed neckline showed working class? No, because like the other, because <laughs> Wes Bentley's got the beard. Yeah. So, but Marsden like hasn't hit that age for me yet. Like that look of like I was like really like promising at one point, but now I'm kind of sad. You know. He doesn't have the Vanderbeek going yet. She he doesn't have the Vanderbeek or doesn't have like the the Javier Bardem. Oh my! You know the Woody Harrelson, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he's still really beautiful. Right. And you're like, and why like, are you here? Like, aren't you 
in another indie movie coming out with Jack Black about how you're like the prom king and like everyone comes to the prom because of you. Like, get back into movies where you play the popular guy. The D Train. He is indeed. How much will that cost? Fifteen million dollars. Oh, and I want to come in on a swan boat. Would you like to have our end note about the three movies? This one's interesting because I think it's like it's it's sort of the opposite conceptually of the Truman show. She's like a disturbed person who assumes that people will be interested in the banality and sort of like singularity of like what it's like to put like one person up there who has no regard for like what's coming across the television. Um, The way that the movies are different though, is I think this is the only one where the protagonist has a choice. Yes. You know, because if we're saying that the person losing their shit on uh, in network uh, is Peter Finch, like he gets fired. So like the, what's happening and the, the, the television institution, like he's already like in, like he doesn't really have a choice of his own mental illness and being on the air because they need him to be there for the ratings. You know what I'm Uh, saying? Yep. I do. And then Truman show, he doesn't even know he's on TV, but this one, she goes out of her way to be on TV. Yeah. But then ultimately, and I think like why this movie is not that good in my mind, uh, is the fact that it doesn't, like, make any comment about anything. Like, I thought, you'd think with a setup like that, she would, like, accidentally become this, like, nationally recognized thing, despite her best efforts, you know? But she gets this weird sort of, like, college humor level... Good point. (laughs) uh, ...fandom, but she never really, like, makes it big enough that anyone actually sues her, or, like, there's really any ramifications... I think, Chance, that this one might be bad, bad. I think it's bad, good. Because... Now, what what part of it's good? Because I really did think that the supporting cast was quite good. And I felt that they were really interested in how they could play off Kristen Wiig. And I felt that... There were definitely some laugh-out-loud moments. But I thought, overall, like this movie does not... I don't know. It just, it doesn't outlive it. It doesn't like outlive its premise. I mean, it, it outlived it for the, or it, it lived it, I should say for the 90 minutes, because I think, I don't think so. I think it lived it to like her first show. I don't think. And then after that, the movie has like no idea what it's doing. But I disagree because I think if you put anyone but Kristen Wiig in this role, like it is a disaster of a movie. That's like probably looking down on, like mental disorders yeah you never go full mm, and and since it's Kristen Wiig like it works because she just like all of her weird SNL characters she's just in like Mm -hmm. 10,000% on this thing that like doesn't matter that much yeah I put this in the category of like cake or something but I thought you hadn't seen cake yeah but like I know what it is (laughs) Anything we want to say about the three movies on the whole? I don't find any of the three particularly dated, but I think the premise is kind of weird because it hinges on the idea that we all want to watch some watch someone else that's truly unfiltered, and that lack mm-hmm. of filter can be boring at times. 
And I think that the world we're in now is that when we're bored, we'll just be narcissists. and <laughs> We're not interested in seeing what these other people do mm-hmm. in silence and depressive moments. But I feel like all these movies are so like unaware of technology that exists now. And I mean, that's what I mean. The Truman show and uh, network have an excuse, but I feel like, especially for uh, welcome to me, like the fact that there's not like a scene where like kids are laughing at a YouTube video of her is like a huge crime about this movie. Good point. Um, yeah, I just think it's they're both they're all weirdly like you said in the opening, they're all weirdly reliant on maybe a world of television that doesn't really exist anymore. They're all weirdly in their own ways about like mass media celebrities and mm-hmm. I mean to to go back on my own point about like how we're more interested in ourselves. I think we're of course we're all very still interested in celebrities, but like how they come to pass is so much more splintered by how we look at the world now. And so to see sort of like, um, I guess mostly origin stories here about like how people got to talk to way more people seems kind of foreign. Yeah. Maybe not dated, but foreign. I don't know. Well, I think it's interesting too. If you look at all three movies, other than like moments in the Truman show, I would say the network is the most cynical of the three about technology. I would certainly say that's true. Like you'd think it would be like the Truman show where this guy is like in prison, uh, on a television show. Um, or this thing about mental illness and how like people with too much money can get away with things. But it's really (laughs) just the one about like why or what networks are looking for as far as like ratings go. Yeah. Like it really just gets to the idea of like what the entertainment industry is doing and why they do it where these other ones are sort of like, even though the Truman show is like watched universally, it's still more of a fringe thing. I bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills. Well, buddy, I wish you all the best with your travel. Thank you. Move. Um, We'll all be thinking of you on, oh, for God's sake, the Be Real guys, you know, headspace. Um, yeah, this has been great. And if we never do it again because of your uh, Portland life, then, you know, this has been a good run. Right. I'm going to be instantly busy. People, you can follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys. And if you'd like to talk more personably, uh, if we ever get back to you, it's at Be Real Guys at gmail.com we also i made a facebook page this week because uh i watched network and i was inspired to branch out into dying forms of media so we're at facebook.com backslash be real guys we got a billion users today dude blah 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 um not you though no i'm off the face space yeah see and i count you to be the arrowhead at the front of technological movements. So you can find us there. Uh, you find us on iTunes, SoundCloud. Thanks for hanging out. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you for your, your insights, your enthusiasm, mm-hmm. your charm, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. For See, Chance, I'm Noah. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on.